Hello again. My name is Morgan Roberts. I'm one of the older retired ministers whose privilege and delight it is to be worshiping at Church of the Palms and enjoying the friendship and ministry of Pastor Steve McConnell. Uh, let's prepare our hearts and minds for today's meditation by listening to some lovely piano music. Our lessons today are from two chapters in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, they tell us really of the ending of the life of the disciple Judas Iscariot. They carry us from the 26th into the 27th chapter. Uh, listen for the word of God. This is from the 26th chapter. While Jesus was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer, that is Judas, had arranged a signal to them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once... To Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Jesus replied, now listen to this, Do what you came to do, friend. He called him friend. He's being betrayed, and he still calls Judas friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. Then we go to a second passage from the 27th chapter of Matthew, beginning at the first verse. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus in order to bring about his death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate the governor. When Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, 
he repented and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. He said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said to him, what's that to us? See to it yourself. Throwing down the pieces of silver in the temple, Judas departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priests, taking the pieces of silver, said it's not lawful to put them into the treasury since they are blood money. After conferring together, they used them to buy the potter's field so as to place as a place to bury foreigners. For this reason, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled that which had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah, saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of the one on whom the price had been set, on whom some of the people of Israel had set a price. And they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord commanded me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, you wonder how the story of Judas came to such an ending as it did. And we can go back to the very beginning of the story and we can find some hints. They're not positive evidence, but it's all we have. We start with the very name of Judas. Judas Iscariot. That means Judas from the town of Iscariot. And this carriot is way down south in Judea, miles and miles from Judea, where Jesus and his first disciples were functioning. Way down that far away had Judas heard of Jesus even, even down there. But we don't know. But somehow or other, he got up and became one of uh, up north in Galilee and became one of Jesus' disciples. But he is the only disciple who is not a Galilean. Uh, in some ways you'd say, maybe the clue to Judas is that he's a loner. And loners have nothing to sort of moderate their viewpoints. In other words, if, if, if he'd had a wife at some point, she would have said, uh, Judas, aren't we getting a little bit over, overboard on this thing? Or some family member would have said, uh, you know, we need to, uh, to take a more moderate viewpoint on things, Judas, because Judas certainly didn't take a moderate viewpoint on what was the main problem uh, afflicting the Jewish people, which were the Romans who occupied their country. You know, every word of the New Testament is written under Roman occupation. So it's easy to understand how there came to be a very popular dream, fantasy or dream, that somehow or other someday there would be a, a leader, a Messiah sort of person who would somehow or other bring the people together, defeat and send the Romans back to Rome where they belong, and usher in a golden age, a new golden age of, of Jewish dreams. Uh, we know for sure every Jew 
to some extent, uh, cherished that vision. Some more with greater zealot, zealotry than others. And certainly Judas was one of the zealots on this point. He, he believed those scriptures that promised a Messiah, but instead of it being just a Messiah who'd come and save us from our sins, this is a Messiah who would come and save us from the Romans. And so with the great popularity of Jesus, you can see how Judas came to believe that he could be the one who was this deliverer. He, he was enormously popular. Uh, his deeds of healing, his exorcisms. I mean, the, the Jewish leaders feared him, the Romans feared him. Uh, he was the one who had the largest potential following of anyone to be this messianic figure who would lead us on to a revolt against Rome. But he seemed to be frittering away his messianic possibilities. So who would sort of get to Jesus and tell him to stop frittering away his messianic role and step to the center and call for the revolution which was needed? Well, Judas hoped that he would be the one, he was the most popular figure to do that kind of thing and call for a revolution, but it wasn't happening. I suggest that maybe one thing that made it happen is that finally uh, Jesus began to get the reputation of being a friend of tax collectors. It used to be in some versions of the Bible, publicans they called them. But tax collectors were Jews who worked for Rome. That didn't make them very popular. The way they did it is that each household was assigned uh, a certain tax figure, and they were to collect that figure for Rome. And then they could add their own collection fees. So when you put them together, the taxes were onerous. And when Jesus started being known as the friend of tax collectors, I suspect that was the turning point, the tipping point, where finally he came up with this bizarre plan of forcing the hand of Jesus and getting him to call for a revolution. And so we read in the second lesson, he, he went to the Jewish leaders. I don't think they went to him. I think he went to them and he had this bizarre plan. And it was, give me 30 shekels of silver and I'll lead you to him. I wonder if it didn't amuse the Jewish leaders to a certain extent because 30 shekels of silver was not a lot of money. Uh, there are different estimates of what it would mean in today's currency, but it wasn't a lot. I mean, Judas could carry that amount of money with him easily as we say he finally went and threw it down in front of them. But they agreed to the plan. He led them to Jesus and uh, he embraced Jesus. The sign of who Jesus was was a kiss. And as soon as he had done this, the whole thing fell apart. Jesus did not call for a revolution. Instead, he said, uh, do what you need to do, friend. He called him friend, even though he had been betrayed. Now, how did 
How did Judas ever miss the point so much? You know, it occurred to me that Judas, because he was one of the first disciples, would have been in the company, the handful of first disciples that Jesus took with him up on the mount, sat down and laid out his blueprint for a new world. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. It may not be one sermon, but it was Jesus' vision for the world that he had come to create. And you come to the point which is at the very heart of that blueprint. And it's the point where Jesus said, love your enemies because God loves them. Love them even if they persecute you because God never gives up on them. They all belong to God. And he gave them two natural signs that can remind us every day of God's love for everyone. He said, you know, when the sun comes up every morning, remember, it shines on everybody, not just on a few. Whether they're evil or good, wherever they are on the spectrum of evil to good, the sun shines on all of them. That's how broad God's love is. And whenever it rains, he said, remember, it falls on everybody's fields and crops. That's how God loves the just and the unjust. Every day, sunshine and rain remind us that we're called to be a peaceable kingdom. But there are no more good guys and bad guys, friends and enemies. Jesus envisioned a world in which everyone was a child of God, everyone was a friend of God, everyone was beloved of God. Somehow or other, Judas missed the main point. Why didn't he see it on Palm Sunday when instead of arriving on a war horse, Jesus as a king rides, on, rides in on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It was so clear that this was going to be a world of friends, equals all children of God. Well, that's the way it went. The plan fell apart, and Judas went and hanged himself. When I remembered this, it suddenly occurred to me that the crucifixion of Jesus and the suicide of Judas happened within a short time, hours of one another. The crucified and the suicide met very quickly on the other side. I don't know what Judas was thinking when he arrived in the eternal presence of God. Does he feel an eternal sense of despair, of no hope, I don't know. What we can know for sure is that the very first word that Jesus spoke to Judas was the same word that he had spoken when he had been betrayed, friend. You know, you never stop being Jesus' friend. He never stops being your friend. No matter what you've done, you've misunderstood him, you've betrayed him, you've run away, you've denied him, he still calls you friend. Others would come and join them as they regathered on the shores of the Crystal Sea. Eventually, Peter would be, become a martyr. Others of the disciples were 
were martyrs too, probably, or went to other parts of the world, carrying the good news all over the world as they had been commanded by Jesus. But finally, they all came back together there, and all were greeted as friends. You know, Jesus never stops calling us friends. If there's any lesson that comes to us from the life and failures of Judas, it is that there is no friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. And it never ends. In fact, isn't that the whole message of Scripture? From Genesis to Revelation, what's the whole thing about? Jesus loves us. What a friend we have in him. Let it be so in all of our lives. Amen.